You guys can be seated. We can celebrate. That's awesome. All right, I'm throwing you guys a curveball today. We normally do offering after the message, and it's not that I'm going to say something that's going to anger people. I'm, I'm feeling good about this message today. And you can give again after the message. You might want to. It's that good today. All right, um, but we're going to receive before because we want to do communion right after the message today. Um, but before we give, I wanted, to, I wanted to make a name known to you guys. The name Lewis Heaton. It's a name that most of you guys do not know and will not know, but you, he, he's not famous here on earth, but I believe that, that in some ways he, his name will be known in heaven because Lewis is a person who is extremely faithful in the way that he worked during his life, and he was extremely generous with the things that God gave him, and God continued to entrust more to him because of the way that he was generous and because of the way that he lived and served. Lewis is someone who gave extravagantly towards seeing Gulfside Church become a reality. And, and this last week, um, he actually passed away. But I wanted to share part of this story with you guys. Lewis was going in and out of consciousness as, as he had been sick. He was only 54 years old. But Robin Wood, who is one of the overseers of this church, one of my mentors, and he's preached here before, he's the little dude who's like way too fiery. Like, you remember that guy? Yeah, okay. Uh, we won't play that part of the tape for him later. Um, but Robin was with him. And a- as Lewis was just unconscious, he, Robin just was talking to him about Gulfside and what God's been doing and sharing some of your guys' stories with Lewis. And while Lewis had been unresponsive for the last few hours, At that moment, he squeezed Robin's hand, he opened his eyes, and he smiled. And he said, wow. And he closed his eyes again, and he went to be with the Lord. And I just, I'm amazed that what's happening amongst us together, it was the joy of someone's final breath on earth. And God uses men like Lewis to get things started, um, but it's, it's on each one of us to do our part to keep things going. And as we give, if it's your first time here, there is no compulsion. I don't want you to feel like you have to give. But for those of us who call Gulfside Church home, I understand not all of us can give like Lewis Heaton, and that's okay. But each one of us are called to do our part. And so let's continue to move this thing forward in our city by doing what God has asked us to do in, in the way that we give and the way that we steward his resources. And so ushers, would you come forward that we can receive the tithes and offering? And last week we had a big trunk or treat and we want to make sure if you weren't able to be here that you got to see some clips of that. So we're going to show a small video while we receive the tithes and offerings. Spidey got a little embarrassed by his incredible parents there. I, lo- I loved that. Oh man, we are kicking off a new series, and thank you for everyone who did their part to make that event happen last week. It was such a blessing for the city. So many families found out that we exist and are encouraged, and we have a couple people who are here today because they came to the Trunk or Treat for the first time. So yeah, thank you for doing that, and thank you for stepping out and giving the church a try. We're so glad to have you guys here with us as we kick off this new series. And if you grabbed one of these as you entered, if you're, you know, born after 2000, you're probably looking at this and saying, like, is that an MP3 player? Like, what is that thing? Um, those of you guys who've had a few more days like, like me, uh, you look at that and, and you know, okay, that's a cassette tape. And in fact, this is a cassette tape that, that you could turn into a mixtape. And yeah, yeah, some people, so the women are like, oh yeah, the mixtape, because they know. Like this is playlist before playlist was really, was really a thing. And, and what we used to do is, is that when someone was on your heart, 
you, you would, and guys, I know we wouldn't say it that way, but it's like the, these songs remind me of you, so I put them all on a cassette tape, and I wanted to give it to you. You should listen to it. And, and it's the way that you tell a person kind of how you feel about them through these different songs. And, and th- this, you know, it, it's changed from the way that we used to do it, but, but songs are meant to communicate what's on our heart. I, I remember, you know, there's so many things that are wrong with this, but like I was, as a middle schooler, I remember one of the first dating relationships I was in, which if you're a middle schooler and dating, that's just stupid, um, but <laughs> disclaimer, but she picked our song, because every couple has to have a song, even if you only date for like 36 hours, you should have a song. Um, <laughs> And the song that she picked was a Mariah Carey song, and I'm going to read the lyrics because I want to make sure you, 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 you get this right. It's, I ain't going to cry no, and I won't beg you to stay. If you're determined to leave, boy, I will not stand in your way. How is that a song for a relationship? <laughs> like, what? Like, are you listening to the words at all? This is, supposed, this is about me breaking up with you. Like, what kind of pick is that? And it's one of those things that like with a love song, we don't want to sing a love song to the person that we love about breaking up with them. That wouldn't make any sense. But, but what happens is we, we get into habits of singing songs and sometimes we don't even recognize the meaning of them. And this is true in the church and this is what we're talking about when we're talking about love songs. When we sing together at church, it's supposed to be about God's love for us and our love for God. But so often, and because the people who write these songs have been a Christian and an artist for so long, that these deep meanings of scripture get written into the songs in a way that we say a word or a phrase, and the meaning just escapes us. And so what I wanted to do is I want to study some biblical passages that, that have been referred to in some of the songs that we sing, so that we understand these passages, so that when we sing that song, it's not just words from our lips, but, but it, it's it's emotion, it's, it's realization, it's scriptural truth that is part of our head and our hearts that when we sing it, we can really worship God as we sing it. And so I'm going to dive into two specific passages. If you have your Bible with you today and you'd like to follow along, you can get to Exodus chapter 3 and Acts 16, our two stories that we're going to look at today. As we look at the song, the last song we sang as part of our worship set was Holy Ground. And we're actually going to sing it again at the end of this message after communion. And when we sing this at the end, I want you to engage with the words. I want you to engage with the meaning. And I'm going to challenge you, as I will at the end of this message, to just open yourself before God and sing your heart to him, not worrying about anything else. And and so, as we get into this, but before we look at the passage, one of the the things kind of on this topic that, that was close, you know, close to my heart and close to so many people's hearts is that worship can become something that it's not meant to be. When it loses its meaning, And in some churches, churches have divided and split and broke apart because of worship music. Because one person wants one song, one person wants another song, one person wants one style, one person wants another style, and it becomes divisive. And that is not the goal. And we're not we're not here to like to create fights over worship. We're here to find meaning where we sing and what we sing. And and this has become such a common issue that artists have actually written songs talking about how worship is a problem, like Christian artists have. One of the ones that came to my mind is by Jimmy Needham. Jimmy Needham writes some really deep content as far as songs. He also writes some poetry, but one of his songs is called Clear the Stage, where he's talking about dealing with the idol of worship. And and he he says it this way. He says, "Clear, clear the stage and set the lights and sound ablaze if that's the measure that you must take to crush the idols. Jerk the pews and all the decorations too until the congregations few and then have revival. Tell your friends that this is where the party ends until I'm broken for my sins. I can't be social. Seek the Lord and wait for what he has in store. 
and know that great is your reward, so just be hopeful. Because you can sing all you want to and still get it wrong. Because worship is more than a song. And, and this is the heart. We want to we remove distractions. We want to remove the, the other things that we're thinking about. And it's one of the reasons why before we sing, we ask, you know, hey, get your heart ready to worship. Because we need to engage in these moments. These are love songs. These aren't just songs that we want to, to come through our head and pass by. We're going to start with Exodus chapter 3. And this is a familiar story, but I'm going to get into some of the details that, that is easy to pass by unless you're kind of a student of the language. And I'm not going to dive too deep into Hebrew stuff, but man, you're going you're gonna to like some of these pieces that we look at together. Exodus chapter 3, verse 2 through 5. This is when Moses ha- had killed someone and left Egypt, and he's out living his life in the wilderness, and, and he's married. And then he has this encounter with God that you're familiar with, and it starts in verse 2. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him, Moses, in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement, though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. Now the first part of that that's just so easy to miss, we see there at the beginning it says, in verse 2, there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the blazing fire. Now this is really interesting because this term, the angel of the Lord, is used about 65 times in the Old Testament. And it's a specific person. It's trying to identify that this person has individual characteristics from the other angels. This is not Gabriel. This is not Michael. Some of the other names that are referenced in the scriptures. This is one particular one. And as you study these different interactions, some of them are are really interesting. In fact, in the book of Zechariah, in chapter 3, around verse 10, you see this interaction. And it sets the stage uh, in heaven where, where Joshua is being defended by the angel of the Lord, but there's someone else standing next to him, and it says that Satan is standing next to the angel of the Lord, accusing him. And as the angel of the Lord stands there, he actually is defending Joshua, and he actually says, your sins are forgiven. And if you're a, if you're a student of theology, you realize that only one person has the authority to forgive sins. There's only one person, and in fact, Colossians chapter 1, in case you, you, you're curious about this, it's okay, you know, th- th- the theologians, Baker's Theological Dictionary, the, theologians throughout time, they have suggested that whenever we see the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, that it's actually Jesus Christ before he came in flesh. And, and in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 10, we get that section about the supremacy of Christ that talks about how Christ existed before he was in flesh. And it says everything that has been created has been created by him, for him, and through him. That he had the supremacy in it all. One of the other interesting details about this is that in the Hebrew, it doesn't just say bush. It actually says the genus, the type of, of group that this bush was from, and it was from the acacia group, and, and it would have been covered with thorns. I actually have a picture of the thorns for you if it made it up there. Maybe not. Picture of thorns. I probably broke something. It's okay if it didn't make it in there, um, but it, it's one of those long thorned bushes, and so here when we see the picture clearly, that, there it made it. You can see how long the thorns are. And, and we don't have information as far as like was the crown of thorns that Jesus wore made out of that. We don't have that, but it's just this interesting picture that this angel of the Lord who has authority to forgive sins is speaking to Moses from this bush of thorns and, this, and these flames that are not engulfing it. And, and within this, 
we see this interaction where, you know, Moses, he, he's in the wilderness. He's not like in a palace. He's not in a nice home. He's, he's standing in dirt. I have about a little more than a gram of dirt right here. I had to do more, otherwise you just wouldn't be able to see it. And this dirt somehow got glitter in it. I have three daughters, and that's all. I can't tell you, whenever I get dirt, there's, there's glitter everywhere in my life. Um, dirt, it, it, it has, it has um, I'm going to make sure I read these, these numbers right. 5,000 different types of bacteria in one grain of soil. 5,000 different types of bacteria. In fact, in one acre of soil, 15 tons of, of soil passes through an earthworm each year. So the soil that you touch, it's been through an earthworm probably, which is kind of gross. Uh, on one acre of cropland, there's 1,400,000 earthworms to tell you how many of them are doing that job so that you can touch soil that's been through the intestinal tract of an earthworm. Um, 10% of the world's carbon dioxide emissions are in, stored in soil these days. There's nothing special or pretty about soil, and in fact, I recommend you do not put it in your mouth because there's some gross stuff in here. But why is it that when the, the angel of the Lord is there and God is speaking to Moses, why is it that right there on the dirt that he said, take off your sandals for you're standing on holy ground? I mean, there's nothing special about that dirt. But was, what was special and what was happening at that interaction was that the presence of the Lord was on that mountainside. That, that, wa- that was the Lord's mountain, that, that his presence rested there. And his presence was to be treated with such respect that even when it was on dirt, that that dirt was to be treated differently because the presence of God was there. And there's nothing special about Moses taking off his sandals other than that it was a cultural sign of respect. It was something that you would do there that was specific to that generation. There's nothing special about Moses' feet. They were probably as dirty as his sandals. But he was told to take them off and do what was culturally appropriate to show the sign of respect for the presence of God. Now this is interesting to me because as you study the, the course of Scripture and we see different things that happened around the presence of God, we see this interaction. Moses, take off your shoes. You're standing in the presence of God. We, we see that when someone burned incense, they were inappropriate. They were not the right thing that was supposed to be sacrificed on the altar. We see tragic incidents happening in this Old Testament. We see that when the presence of God was in the Ark of the Covenant and someone reached out and touched it when they shouldn't have, we see tragic incidents. We see that God protected his presence with a strong authority. And he said, wherever my presence is, you should be showing a sign of respect. There should be a response when my presence is somewhere. And then we see at the end of the Old Testament and starting into the Gospels where Jesus says, I am fulfilling the Old Testament. I am fulfilling the law and the obligations of it. And now I'm writing my law not on tablets of stone, but I'm writing them on your hearts. And there is no longer a temple where you go to worship, but in fact, you are my temple. And the New Testament teaches us that the Spirit of God no longer is at a mountainside. It's no longer in the Ark of the Covenant. It's no longer in the temple, in the holy of holies. But listen to me. Because you hear this and you let it pass through and you don't contemplate the depth and the importance of this. The presence of God is not in those places anymore. The presence of God is in the heart of those who believe. Those who have trusted in his name. 
And so when we see someone who, you know, they've been, they've been wrapped up in addiction and they've been homeless and they've been living the wrong lifestyle and they come and they meet Christ and like he changes their life and they get it together and they start serving at church and they're engaged and, and, and we just see transformation. We look at them and we say, oh, that's an awesome story. It's awesome that you worship. It's awesome that you lift up your hands and praise. It's awesome that you serve. It's awesome you're completely forgiven and we love to see that story happen in your life. And we don't question that person. But why is it that we can say, okay, the grace of God is enough for you to restore you completely. But for me, you know, yeah, I know the presence of God lives in me, but I just, I've got some stuff going on and I feel like I can't, I can't really pray right now because of what I did this week, because of what happened this morning. I can't really engage in worship right now because my mistakes and they're still present and they're holding on to me. You know, maybe when I get it together later, then I, I can really engage in the things of God. But listen to me, what scripture teaches us is that when the presence of God is somewhere that he, he demands a response. I'll, I'll say it this way, God's presence demands a response in our life. In my experience, that when God shows up in our life, that there's a reason that he shows up. There's a reason why he's making his presence known to us. There's a reason that he's walking with you, and it's not to leave you to walk through your life alone. When God has an encounter with you and he pushes on your heart, he's pushing you to make a decision. In Moses' case, it was as simple as, Moses, take off your shoes in this moment. Show the sign of respect that you should. Sometimes when we're in worship, it's, you know, it's culturally tough to do, but it's the right thing you know, to raise our hands in prayer when we're having a moment where we're pouring our heart out to God through praise and prayer, and we lift our hands. But sometimes we don't want to do it because culturally, ah, uh, it's, it's tough. But when God's presence is, is here and, and we know that his spirit is speaking to us, we have to respond to him. He's the authority, not us. And when we look at Moses and, and this amazing interaction that he had at, at the burning bush, it, it's, it's one of the pictures that we see, but it's not the only one. You know, with, with Moses, it, it was take off your sandals and then, and then go and free my people. And then for David, it was David, step out of the sexual sin you're in. And another time for David, it was dance wildly before me in, in worship. For, for Peter, it was Peter, stop cursing. Peter, forgive others. Peter, forgive yourself. For the Apostle Paul, it was, yes, I know that you're in pain, but my grace is sufficient for you. So keep walking and keep moving forward in what I've called you to do. His presence, it guides us, it directs us. It's not just for, for you know, something that we do something that we enjoy, something we engage, but it's actually something that should be directing us and directing our life. God's presence in the room in our life, it changes us. It should change our family. It should change our workplace. It should change our perspective. And in the song, when we sing, every believing heart is holy ground, or every, every burning heart is holy ground, I want you to know this is talking about you. Now when, when we sing every burning heart is holy ground, that God's presence is alive in you if you've placed your trust in Jesus Christ. And he said that you are his, and you are holy. You are his holy, dearly loved child, is what we're taught in scripture. Is it a challenge for you to see yourself that way? Is it a challenge for you to know that God looks at you that way? That God would want to protect you the way that he's protected his temple and his presence throughout history. That you are his child. 
our, our baggage, our mistakes, uh, they, they kind of, the, the common illustration is, is they kind of become like chains for us. They hold us back from stepping forward. Uh, they, they hold us from lifting our arms in worship. And, and there's this metaphor that, that, that's used throughout songs that, you know, we're, we're chained down. And, and in the song that we're singing, it, it says chains fall. And there's a couple different great passages where we, where we see these illustrations about chains falling. One of my favorite ones is actually in Acts chapter 16. And I've taught on this passage before, so I'm going to run through part of it because I am on a, I have a timer right here, and it yells at me, and you don't realize that. Um, so Acts 16, 22. And, it, and Paul and Silas had been preaching, and they had been seeing God do great things. And they were doing exactly what God wanted them to do. And, and then some people got angry at them because he, he cast a demon out of a fortune-telling girl, and the person who had enslaved her was no longer going to make any money off of her, and so he riled people up to have them arrested. And it's this crazy circumstance. And, and then the crowd joined in, is what verse 22 says. The crowd joined in on the attack, which we know that crowds love to join in on the attack. If you're on the Cape Coral community group that's on Facebook, you see that happen every day. Every time someone makes a mistake in traffic, the crowd joins in on the attack on that person. The, the crowd joined in on the attack on Paul and Silas. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When they received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. Now, I'm going to just kind of pause there for a minute because I want to make sure you understand the severity with which they've been beaten. I mean, their backs would have been opened. It would have been impossible for them to lay down on their backs and, like, get any rest as they're spending this night in jail. And, and it would have been had to be their backs because they would have... You know, they were put into this one cell together, which was a mistake, by the way. Um, but their, their feet were locked into stocks, and so they were forced to try to sit like this, where they would have just been beaten down their back, down the backs of their legs, and it would have been incredibly uncomfortable. And, and if ever there was an opportunity and a, a logical reason to complain and say, God, I'm done with this, I mean, it would be a situation in which you did the right thing, you got in trouble for doing the right thing, you bled because of doing the right thing, and now you're stuck in jail because of doing the right thing. And to, to just kind of imagine what this situation would be like, you know, there's some things we can pull out from Scripture about their character, because Paul, Paul was typically like a grumpy guy. Like, I mean, he, he would get agitated about things. We see what, from his interactions with John Mark that when John Mark gave up on a mission trip that they were on and decided he wanted to go home, he said, I'm never working with him again. And, and it became a dispute between him and Barnabas where Barnabas was like, I'm not giving up on this guy. And Paul's like, I'm done with him. And so Paul, Paul had some grumpy interactions. You look at his letters to the church, the way that he corrected people, he could get grumpy. Silas was more of the encourager. And so Silas is over here next to him and, and they're in jail and it's getting late. And, and my guess is that this is how it kind of started. Probably started with Silas. Silas probably was sitting there and it's just like, my hope is built on nothing less. Then Jesus' blood and righteousness. And Paul's over here. Shut up, Silas. That's what got us here in the first place. I'm trying to sleep, and this is your fault anyway. And, and Silas, you know, just, the, the thing about Paul, like he was grumpy, but Paul would also come around. We see in First Timothy that he writes about John Mark, and he actually, although he was the one who's like, I won't go with him. I won't go on the trip if he's going. He actually wrote and said, will you send me John Mark because he's of benefit. Paul was grumpy, and, and he could be a mess, but he would also come around. And, and so Silas, he just kind of kept going. You know, 
I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. And Paul, you know, much like us, much like part of the time, just kind of begrudgingly, a little unwillingly, but feeling like this, I'm supposed to do this, so I'm just going to do this because I'm supposed to do this. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other hope is sinking sand. And, and began singing, and, and began praying, and, and all the prisoners, they began listening. And if ever there was a time where it says, I don't need to pray, I don't need to sing, this is not the time, I don't feel like it. I don't feel like it, I don't want to do it, I don't feel like it. If ever there was a time, they could have used any of those excuses. I have chains on my hands. Why would I pray and sing when I am bound up like this? I will do that when I'm in a better situation later. And I doubt that they expected God to do what God was about to do. But in the midst of their pain, they began to praise and God broke the chains. It says in the passage that the ground began to shake. We'll pick it up in verse 26. Actually, no, we'll go back to 24. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell, and he fastened their feet in the stocks. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundation of the prison was shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open. Everyone's chains came loose. Now look, this is the question as you walk through life. You won't have the, the physical chains on, but when you feel held back, this is the question that's going to come to you. Is your pain going to break your praise or is your praise going to break your pain? Because there will be a voice inside you that says, I can't talk to God right now because I just messed up somehow. I mean, like, what's really going to happen if you talk to God when you're in the midst of mistakes, when you're in the midst of falling down? What's really going to happen? Scripturally, we know he doesn't give up on his children. I mean, he forgives every single time. But that voice inside of you, I'm going to tell you, you're not going to get hurt by you going to God, but that voice inside of you is going to get crushed by you going to God because the fear is going to get stamped out because the chains are going to get broken and you're going to get free in your heart in moving towards the calling that God put in front of you. And, and so when we begin to praise, this is, this is the way I want to say it. Um, when, when, always stick with the notes. When praise rises, chains fall. When praise rises, chains fall. And I understand that, that many of you guys are in the midst of a rough situation. And I am not making little of that. I understand some of you guys are, are looking for a new job. Some of you guys are, are re recovering from a broken marriage. I understand there are real difficult things that we're wa walking through. This is not just for the easy things. When you are walking through the heart-wrenching, difficult situations, choosing to praise God, choosing to pray to Him in the midst of those circumstances, that's what breaks those chains in our life. And, and so there's a part of us that has to overcome that I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like praising. I don't feel like engaging with God. We have to break that off. And men, we especially deal with this because we look at it and we say, does singing really matter? Kind of the way that, you know, maybe someone in your life, I'm not going to just point at women, but maybe someone in your life said, does changing the oil on time really matter? Like, I don't see it change anything, and the car still runs. Does it really? Yes, because it's going to burn everything up on the inside, and it's not going to work anymore. Same deal. You were designed to praise and worship God. And when you open up before him in that way, you have a sense that, man, this is working the way that it should. This, this feels right. And although I felt like, man, because of last week, this next week was just going to kill me, I'm not afraid of this week anymore. 
because it puts things into perspective. I'm going to close if the band would come and make their way up. I'm going to close with this thought. Um, my, my son Anthony, I, I've, I've trained him to nerd out about the stars. He's only two years old. Like, I mean, he can't go too far, but I love looking at the moon with the telescope together with my older kids. But every time it's nighttime and the stars are out and he gets out of the car, immediately his head goes back and he points up and says one of the few words he can say and says stars. And yeah, it, it's cool. And I'm, I'm a geek. And so I, I, I just, I, I, get, I, I get into that. But he, he does that because I've taught him, you know, look at this. Look at how beautiful they are. Look at this night sky. Southwest Florida night skies are amazing. And the thing that I love about stars is that, w- that when you look at them, man, they're just, they're beautiful, but they're just these tiny specks. But the more you learn about a star, the more you learn just how huge it is. I, I mean, it, it's like they're just these little decorations all around our night. They're just this tiny thing that's in the background that we often walk into our house and we never even take notice of how beautiful they are. But when you get to the scale of how big this thing is, it makes you look like the smallest piece of dust in the wind. And when we sing, show us your glory, I I feel like it's that way with God. When you get started in your relationship with him, you feel like, okay, you know, God is this beautiful decoration on this one hour of my week on this Sunday. But then you get close to him and you're like, oh man, God has stuff that he wants to say to me like on Monday morning too. And you grow closer to him and, 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 you, and you see, okay, God, you're bigger than just Sunday morning. You're bigger than just Monday. You're, you're, you're bigger. And, and in fact, I want you as part of every waking moment of my life, God. We sing, show me your glory. It's just saying, God, show me more of you. Because when I see more of you, I realize how much bigger you are than my problems. I realize how much bigger you are than my fears. I realize how much bigger you are than my worries. And when I have an accurate view of how huge you are in my life, it gives me an accurate view of how small these problems are going to be in my future. Because I can trust you. So church, we're going to we're going to sing in just a moment, but I, I want to take communion together first before we sing the song. And, and communion, it's kind of a checkpoint is the way that I refer to it. Communion is something for the person who believes in Christ. And if you have placed your hope and trust in him, you are welcome to take communion with us. And, and communion is not just an activity we go through, but scripture actually says it's a proclamation. It says, Whenever you partake in communion, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And so if you believe that Jesus died on the cross for you and was risen to give you new life and forgiveness of sins, celebrate communion with us. But scripture warns us, don't partake of communion in an unworthy manner. And that, what that means is don't just go through the motions on this. If there's sin that you've allowed to, to stay clinging to you in your life, Stephen, right now, give that over to God and let him take it away and don't hold on to it anymore. This is a checkpoint. Communion is, God, I'm giving this over to you again. I believe that there's forgiveness for me at the cross again. I believe that your blood was poured out for me again. Give me that fresh start. Let me know that I can sing in your presence. Let me know that I can worship before you, that I can pray to you, and that you are my heavenly Father who loves me no matter what I've done. And then let's enter into communion in that way, knowing that because of what Christ's done, we are his dearly loved. And then we're going to sing a worship song.
and we'll partake in communion by taking a piece of bread and taking the cup with you back to your seat, and then we'll all take it together once I'm back up on stage afterwards. If the ushers would come forward as you're ready and as you feel led, come get your communion, and then we'll, we'll take together. As long as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And you proclaim my death until I come again. Let's take and eat together.
church. We're going to close with the worship song, Holy Ground, that we sang at the end of our set. And I want to challenge you to start now. Men, especially, this is, this is a time for you to rise up. I know this is hard for you. You don't like singing. You don't think you sing well. It doesn't matter. You're not singing for the person next to you. You're singing for your heavenly Father. And he takes delight in your voice and in your worship. And so as we sing together, know that your heart is holy ground. Know that when you praise him, despite the chains, those chains, they fall off. And when we see our Heavenly Father for who He is, it shows us how small the worries and anxieties really are. Stand together as we sing.